0: Well good morning. And happy New Year to you guys. Kinda tomorrow, I guess. Yeah? Everybody have a Merry Christmas? Good Christmas? All right, let me see who I'm talking to today. Raise your hand if you are wearing right now something that you got for Christmas. Where are my people at? Alright, good deal. Some dads in the room got them socks on, don't you? Let's go. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Well, I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas for me and my family. It was awesome. Uh, this morning, uh, me and some of the elders of our church were over here in the prayer room. And we were just praying, and man, I just felt like I had to, uh, it's not in my notes, didn't plan on doing this, but I want to just tell you as the pastor of MCC, to the congregation, the family of MCC, man, we are so incredibly thankful for how we saw God move over the course of this past year. So many blessings, so many healthy things happened. Um, Christmas Eve, we baptized our 43rd and 43rd or 43rd and 44th person of the year. Uh, It's amazing. Um, It's just been, it's been a blessing to to be able to, to see God move over the course of this past year. I could spend the entire time that I have allotted to today, just going back and picking story after story, bragging on God and giving him glory for how he's moved and what he's done. And I would love to be able to do that to magnify him but, guys, what I uh, sat down and as went through the, kind of this, that little lull in the calendar right here between Christmas and New Year's, and I sat down and started thinking about what does is, what is God want me to be able to communicate to our people and how do we talk to and what should we lean into in this weird kind of in between, not having been in the new year but not kind of still in the old year day, what do we do? What do we go to? And I thought about, well, maybe we should go back to just do a giant recap of everything that was in the book of Hebrews from chapters one to chapter 11. And I was like, ah, we don't have, you know, three hours for that, Trent, you can't do that. So I decided to pick one passage, one passage that I think in, in, in in as much a way as possible will help prepare us for chapter 12, the chapter that is to come. So if you got a Bible, go to Hebrews chapter two, Hebrews chapter two. Right there at the very beginning, Hebrews chapter 2. Love hearing pages turn. All right. Hopefully you're there. Hopefully you know how to find Hebrews by now. Hebrews chapter 2, start in verse 1, go down to verse 4. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who had heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We're gonna dive into this today. Let's pray, church. Father God, we thank you that we can get here together today on this very last day of this year that you have given us and know that today, this day that you have given us, it is the Lord's day. We're gonna rejoice. We're gonna be glad. We're gonna look at where we've been so we can hopefully continue to be people who walk step and step with you as you continue to call us yours, your family, your people, and draw us more and more into who you've created us to be. In your name, amen. amen. See, a lot of times when you kind of hit this part of the year, you begin looking forward into what is gonna be the next year. And a lot of times when we do this, we start thinking about where we want to get out there, all right? So in 2024, what do I want to see? I don't know what your there is today, but for some of you, you're there may be. Uh, in 2024, I want to lose some parts of me. Some, I want there to be less of me to love. In 2024, For some of you, you want to, to get out of some debt that you got into in 2023. 23 wasn't an easy year financially for any of us. We were paying $17 for gallons of milk and stuff, and it was wild out there. Um, and hopefully 2024 will, will maybe be a better year. It is gonna be an election year, so that should be interesting. So we got a lot to look forward to in 2024, but for all of us, around this time of the year, we start thinking and thinking about who we want to be out there things that we wish we would've done better in 2023 or all those things that we want to be. We wanna restore some relationships. We wanna be a better parent. We wanna be a better student at school. We wanna get into that college and this is the really time when that matters. All of us have something that we want to be out there but what sometimes happens is when we start thinking about resolutions and things out there that we wanna get to, we fail to ask a really important question. And that's the question I wanna lean into today as we get ready to talk about this passage in Hebrews. It's not so much What do I need to do to get there? Whether that's marriage, whether that's being a parent, whether that's being financially free, whether that's something in my health, whether that's being someone who knows more about scripture, whether that's being someone who is less anxious, whatever your there is, it's great. It's great that you have a goal. It's great that you want to get there. But if we want to get there, we have to ask this question. How did I even get here? How did I get here? Because sometimes here is debt, divorce, addicted, and sometimes divorces, sometimes it's asking this question, well, how did it even get like this? See, sometimes we can get so consumed on what's out there that we don't really look back in the rear view and go, well, how did it get like this? What if some of the clues and the answers to getting there is actually bound up in what got you here? What got you here? Now, let's talk about here for a second. First of all, I'm really, really, really glad you're here. I think this is a great step. This is a great opportunity to figure out how you can get to wherever there is for you. Is being gathered together with the body of Christ. Now, the problem with these questions, questions like, how did I even get here? And how did it even get like this? Is think back to the times in your life when you've asked yourself these questions. How did I even get here? How did I even get like this? When did you ask those questions? When things were going great? You know, the, 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 the day, you know, of your wedding, you uh, most, hopefully you weren't asking that question today, everybody. How did I get here? Oh, was great. <laughs> you know, some of you woke up in Las Vegas. So, how did we get here? <laughs> you know? No, for most of us, we don't ask questions like, how did I even get here? When things are going great. We ask these questions when we run into a wall, when the stuff hits the fan, when we get served divorce papers when we show back up at our rental property and it says that we have been kicked out when the boss brings us in and says hey because of your performance i'm gonna have to let you go these are those moments in time when really terrible or things we didn't see coming things happen those are the moments where we go how did i get here how did it get like this and the reason why we don't ask those things when things are okay or good or just run of the mill or going kind of through the motions. The reason we'll ask those things and the reason we ask them when things are banging into the wall and things get catastrophic level is because we don't understand and we didn't pay attention to how we got from where we were to where we currently are. And the reason that happens is because of this, drift. This is what the pastors of the church in Hebrews is talking to them at the very beginning. It's what we talked through a lot as we went through the book of Hebrews. This thing that is drift. The reason we bump into those things and ask ourselves these big crazy questions, like how did I get here? It's because, right? You didn't even feel it happening. It wasn't drastic, it was a drift. Drift means to be carried away slowly, so slow This is the key, this is the key of a drift. It is so slow that you don't even realize it's happening. The thing about drift is drift is one of the things that you don't really have to try hard to do. You know what you have to do to drift? Nothing, you just don't do anything and you'll drift. That's the way the world works. Nobody set out, nobody in this room set out to just, you know, hey, I am going to be dependent on some substance. Nobody set out to go, you know what? We're gonna give this marriage thing a good three-year college try and then we'll get a divorce. Nobody sets out to be overweight. Nobody sets out to be dependent on substance. Nobody sets out to be in credit card debt. Nobody sets out to do those things. But when you look around at our society, those are some of the things that plague us. I think the reason a lot of that happens is because the devil loves drift. The devil loves drift. See, Satan is your enemy he hates you. And the primary reason he hates you is not really about you. Everything that Satan would ever do in your life, he's looking over your head and looking at the Father and saying, do you see what I'm doing to them? He loves drift. Satan is less concerned with you becoming crazy, addicted, and hanging by a thread mentally today. What he's more so after is undermining your mental health today. And if over and over, and slowly and progressively, he can continue to do that, he can get you to a really dangerous place. He's not after you being kicked out or evicted from your home today. He's just after you making some really stupid financial decisions over and over and over again, and creating some really, really bad habits that get you into those places. See, Satan loves drift. Let me talk to the parents in the room, because we've got a room full of kids. Kids, make some noise. Woo, woo. kids, woo. It's good to have you guys here, all right, all right? Don't elbow your parents. I I usually tell wives and husbands not to elbow each other when I'm talking to them. You're not allowed to elbow your parents here, okay? When it comes to drift in families, this is where some of Satan's best work, unfortunately, takes place. There's a principle in family life that goes like this. One of my mentors taught this to me and it has become huge in my life. What is optional in one generation will become an afterthought in the next. And so think about this in your home. What things have become optional? Is purity, as far as what we allow in our home, has that become kind of optional? We'll we'll do some things and not some things. Has... Being connected and part of a local church, has that become something in your family that is optional? Like, we can, we can't, we can't, you know. If, there's, if something comes up, you know, if it's sunny outside or whatever, it's optional. Is being generous with your resources, is that something in your family that's optional? Well, if we have a good month, we'll be generous. If we don't, you know, well, we're not. Think about the things in your family, the things that you know you should do. Do your kids, do they see those things becoming things that are optional for you? Do they see you loving and being nice to certain people? And then when those people aren't around, do those same kids hear you talking bad about them? Now listen, I I, I grew up in a home with with divorced parents. I know that's a really hard thing for you single parents in the room when you have one parent who's being uh, a hard-to-deal-with person. To only say really positive and encouraging and uplifting things and to bite your tongue so much so that you taste blood. But when it comes to the things that your kids are seeing you do, if they are optional for you now, they're going to be an afterthought for them when they grow up. So be careful, be intentional. Pay a lot of attention to that because that's how drift doesn't just affect our generation. It affects the next. So look down the road and know that your spiritual drifting will affect them. This pastor to this church in Hebrews knew that one of the biggest threats to their faith was them not being fervent about the faith that they have. That's why he said what he said. Let's get back into our passage. Hebrews 2.1. He says, therefore, we're gonna kind of pick this passage here, especially the first verse or two apart. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the first thing I want you to underline if you're a Bible underliner person is pay. All right, first thing we have to pay. Let's talk about it. He says, we have to pay attention. Now that involves a payment. So what this means here is attention is a expendable resource. Now, I didn't have to tell you guys this because y'all have cell phones and reels and TikToks and shorts and whatever thing else that can distract us. You know that your attention is an expendable resource. Some of you have already stopped paying attention to me today, right now, all right? Don't amen, that's not nice, all right? I have feelings too, all right? Attention is an expendable resource. This is why the pastor to this church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say just give attention. He says we have to pay attention. What this means is we don't have any excuse anymore when we come to Jesus and we're like, hey, I, I just I have a hard time you know, focusing or I have a hard time. Getting in the Word, or I have a hard time going through this Bible reading plan, or I have a hard time being able to focus on stuff that people are trying to teach me, and I'm trying to do these things, but I have a hard time paying attention. The reason you have a hard time paying attention to the things of God is you have paid so much other attention to the things of the world. And that is where you become. Here, here, here's in the church world, we talk about stewardship a lot. We don't talk about it a ton here because we preach the gospel a whole lot, and we don't really have to talk about stewardship a whole lot because once you get the gospel, you get stewardship. But, Let's talk about a different kind of stewardship, not financial stewardship, but attention stewardship. How many of you would raise your hand if you agree with this statement? Your ability to pay attention has gotten worse in the last three years. Raise your hand if you agree with that. Your ability to pay attention has gotten worse. Some of you are like, what did he just say? What am I raising my hand (laughs) for? You should have raised your hand. You're like, what? Yeah. See, the, the pastor of the church in Hebrews, he's he to something. That the more attention we pay to the things of this world, the less attention we will have to pay to the word of God and the Lord of this word of God, his son, Jesus. There's another time where we're going through Hebrews and we literally leaned into this idea of, of paying attention and not drifting. It was in Hebrews three, actually a chapter ahead. Here's what the pastor of the church in Hebrews said. He said, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, and this is what he does to basically tell them how to not have that evil, unbelieving heart. He says, instead, let's encourage each other daily. He's saying this this endeavor that is paying attention and not drifting away is a group affair. It's a group project. We need each other to do this. Encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Sin is deceptive. And let's be honest, so are ourselves sometimes. Anybody, can you think back this past year, something that you talked yourself into that you knew was a bad idea while you were talking yourself into it? Yeah, me too. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly to the end. He's saying, okay. You remember that first love feeling. You remember that first time you heard the gospel. You remember your baptism moment. You remember that camp or that high or that coming off of that women's conference. You remember those things. He says, hold firmly till the end, the reality that you had when? At the start. So like Christmas Eve, we baptized two two women. And if we had been up there on Christmas Eve after baptism and up there had been a representative from our missions team, we got two mission trips coming up in 2024, one to Ghana and one to Kenya. Those are going to be awesome trips, awesome experience. We'd love for you guys to be a part of that. If we had been up there right after we had got them out of the water, they haven't even dried off yet. And we're like, Hey, um, what do you think about going on a mission trip? Both of them would probably been like, tie me up. All right. Why? Because they've got that feeling in there, that obedient. They're like, I'm in love with Jesus. I want to do what he's calling me to do. How many of us, man, sometimes it's hard to stick with that though. And we wish we could get back to the what we would maybe even entitle the good old days of our faith. When if God said jump, we said, how high? Let's keep going in our passage. He says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So we talked about paying attention. Let's lean in specifically to attention. If you're taking notes, write this down. When it comes to attention, what has your attention will determine your direction. What has your attention Will determine your direction. How many of you, and this is what's crazy, this is the reason I had to get off of Facebook and the rest of social media, is I found myself trying to have, it was like everything in the world was trying to get my attention to make me do something, to buy something, to be a part of something. And I was tired of feeling like my mind was being manipulated by media. Because what I found is courses of time would go on, and because I had paid attention to that ad, For months at a time, you know, I kind of found myself sometimes just driving going, you know what? I probably need that thing, you know, because it got my attention over and over. Not big attention, just to scroll past attention. But getting my attention dozens, maybe even hundreds of times had gotten me to the place where I was like, oh, no, yeah, I think that's a direction I need to go. What has your attention will determine your direction. Now, this is potentially really, really dangerous because you've got to ask yourself what has my attention right now? Let's just go there. Let's try to save a few marriages in 2024. Who has your attention? If that who that has your attention is not your spouse, repent, repent, turn, ask for forgiveness, get help, find a new job. You're that's too drastic. Well, so is divorce. It's real drastic. Repent. What has your attention will eventually determine your direction. Now, let's talk about distractions. The more I've tried to follow Jesus and love Jesus, the more I've tried to understand as well, not just how much Jesus loves me, but how much Satan hates me? Paul in the book of Ephesians makes it very clear that we are in a spiritual war against an enemy who actively hates you. Some of you are sitting here going like, why is life so hard? You're looking back at 2023 and going, it was hard. Why was it hard? Here's why. We have a propensity to make really dumb decisions. That's one. And two, Satan hates you. He just wants to see you screwed up. And when it comes to Satan, one of the things that that I've learned is that Satan is not necessarily after me disobeying God. Does he want me to disobey God? For sure. Does he want you to disobey God? Yeah. But what Satan does before is really the critical thing. And this is the thing that we miss. We just kinda get woke up till we did something bad when we disobey God. We realize, oh, I sinned. But I don't wanna try to help you see his schemes is go, what happened before the something bad that you did? Before disobedience, do you know what there was? Distraction. If Satan cannot get you to disobey God in the moment, he will get you distracted from God in the moment. Distraction leads to drifting. Drifting leads to disobedience. And so my question to you now is, what has your attention? Because whatever has your attention, you're eventually gonna start drifting too. Today I'm gonna drive my boys um, from church to baseball practice, kind of windy roads, all right? Say one of the boys asks me for something that I know is in the floorboard of my car. All right, you've been here, you're driving, you don't have a shotgun passenger, but something's in the floorboard of your passenger seat. You ever had this happen to you? You wanna get that thing. And you hit that first reach, the safe reach. It's like this, all right? The safe reach is here. And then you're like, all right, let me get this, all right. And then you get your feet off the gas pedal. You kind of turn this way and you're hitting that real reach. Now, have you ever had this happen to you? Maybe I'm not the only one where you've been trying to do that. And somehow you've hit that rumble strip while you're trying to reach for that thing. You've been there. Not with kids in the car, right? (laughs) Never. See, that thing has my attention and it's going to determine my direction. But again, I'm talking to a room with a lot of parents and I love that you guys tried to be here this morning. you got your crazy kids. You're like, we gotta get these kids out of the house. They were driving you crazy, weren't they? Amen. Um, got them here, way to go. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If I'm distracted, trying to lead my family, trying to get us to where God is trying to get us, trying to go down this road that is life and I get distracted to something that I feel like I need in this moment, that I don't really need in this moment and I drift and there's no rumble strip to protect me, and I end up in a ditch. Here's what you understand. Your drifting will more than likely have collateral damage. If I get my life in the ditch, more than likely other people are coming with me. If I fall from grace and fall from faith and you guys figure out that I'm embezzling church funds and I've got you know, women in different towns and all sorts of other stuff that you hear on the news that good pastors do and everything else, that's gonna affect your faith, I believe, some. If you and your family, they, they come to know like all the stuff that's going on, it's going to affect things. If you're not around, if you're not there, drifting always has collateral damage. And this is what I'm saying. We have to pay close attention and we have to determine what has our attention. Now, here's a really, really, really good news. If Jesus has your attention, you're good to go. You're locked in. I'm following after him. That's who has my attention. And, and the good thing is, is the eyes locked in on Jesus creates a wind stream, not drifting, but draft behind you. Now kids just get right in the slipstream. We're ready to go. They're following Jesus, this is what's wild. Father's in the room, what's wild is when you start following Jesus wholeheartedly, it makes it easier for your kids to follow Jesus. So some of you in the room are like, why is it so hard for me? My, my kids just don't want nothing to do with Jesus. Before you drop the gavel on them, and you may have already done this, but before you drop the gavel on them, look in the mirror. One of the things we're going to get to in Hebrews chapter 12 is this concept that the pastor lays out about not being a stumbling block for those who would come in faith after us. I can't wait to lean into that. We got to protect ourselves against those things. Let's continue on in the passage. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let's talk about drift, specifically. Drift was a nautical term. This, this term is only used in the, uh, this, this epistle here, this, this term of drift, as it's translated. It's a nautical term that meant to, to come detached from your anchoring point. And I could go into details and explain this. One of the things that I think was uh, really fascinating in this idea from Drift is when it comes to nautical terms, it made me start thinking about um, the same illustration. And again, I'm I'm, I'm kind of recycled and went back and looked at some of the stuff from this. Do you guys um, remember back in history class, these two guys, William and uh, Lewis and Clark? You guys, anybody remember Lewis and Clark? One of the things that I didn't realize is that when they set out to go on this journey to be able to try to get the passage from where they were at in St. Louis all the way into the Western territory of the United States is they traveled on what? Do you know what they traveled? They traveled on a boat. Do you know what the name of the river that they traveled on was? It was the Missouri River, close though. the Mississippi River goes like this. This one goes like this. They were trying to go west, so they were going that way. Here's what I didn't know. I thought, okay, yeah, they just get on this river and they're just gonna float west. That's gonna be awesome. They're gonna see Indians and buffalo and you know, all those great things. What I didn't know is they were actually traveling upstream. The entire journey, hundreds of miles, was all upstream on this river. So it's crazy. And as I went back through the book and and read through some things, the recurring phrase that these two men had, and they faced all sorts of stuff, dysentery, which is like diarrhea on steroids, Attacks from people, multiple parties of of their little crew died during this giant epic journey. Um, They had all sorts of terrible things happen to them, poison ivies, poisonous snakes, all sorts of things, drastic, terrible thing. And they are continuing to go upstream up this river. The recurring phrase, the most recurring phrase in the journals of the men who'd made this trip is this. We proceeded on. We proceeded on. It's their way of saying like, we kept going. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. Please proceed on, keep going. Look, I know it feels like it's upstream and I know there are things in your life where you're like, man, I just wanna have some downstream moments. That's not life down here. Downstream is the toilet bowl swirling down the pipes. If you want to have the life that God has called you to, it is not a downstream life. Is an upstream life. And that's why, listen, that's why this world is so hard for Christians to live in. That's why it doesn't feel right. Listen to me. I'm gonna free you up from some stuff. It's not supposed to feel right down here. When you get going upstream, you realize this takes more effort. This isn't as easy and if you've ever been in current, you've fly fished or been in a river where the water's actually running, you ever do that thing when you are a kid, if you're in a river you kind of make a cannonball out of yourself and see where you're going to end up? <laughs> just me? Okay. Rednecks. All right. Anywhere, any of Are you rednecks in the room? All okay. right. Some of you are like, wow, y'all crazy. Um, some of y'all have been to Whitewater. Okay. <laughs> you got a lazy river at Whitewater and you just go. You know, lazy river. Look, life down here is not going to be lazy river for us. And so when we talk about 2024, what I believe is many of you in this room, when you look upstream, because again, following Jesus is an upstream endeavor. When you look upstream, I believe you have some dreams. Some of your upstream dreams are a new job in 2024. Some of your upstream dreams is some reconciled relationships in 2024. Some of your upstream dreams is some new relationships in 2024. Some need to die and some need to be born Some of your upstream dreams is is financial freedom. Some of your upstream dreams is, is finally not being at this place where you are stressed and anxious about everything in life. You've got upstream dreams. But I wanna tell you that upstream dreams need upstream habits. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason we're not where we want to be Is because we've got upstream dreams, but we've got downstream habits. Got upstream dreams. This is what I want to get to. But when I start looking at my habits, what I do with my time, what I do with my words, what I do with my eyes, what I allow my mental game to be, what I do with my health, the things I allow into my body, I've got upstream dreams. I've got downstream habits. And we wonder why we still feel like we're drifting. When we talk about this, maybe a way to make it make a little bit more sense. When we talk about downstream, downstream is, is I'm going to drift. Drift, you, you, it's just science. You cannot drift upstream. Where can you only drift? You drift downstream. All right? Good job. Even the kids on the front row got that. Upstream, the only way I get upstream, we're going to make it about Jesus. The only way I get upstream is through this word that is essential for us as Christians to get the only way I get upstream is through discipleship. Hidden right there in that word discipleship is a word that most of us don't like, don't really wanna talk about in 2023, going into 2024, is discipline. I can't wait to hit the passage of Hebrews where he goes really quick into it. And he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Wish everybody collectively said, duh. <laughs> no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. However, later on, when it has tested, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace. That's Hebrews 12, 11. Some of you, that needs to be your verse for the year. Hebrews twelve eleven. You wanna go upstream. The only way you get upstream is discipleship. The only way you get into discipleship is through discipline. Jesus knew this. He didn't hide this from his disciples. And if you find a church where they hide this from you, you have not found a gospel-centered church. But Jesus made this very abundantly clear to his disciples and to us as anybody who would come after him. Now, he said these words in the Gospel of Luke 9.23. He said to all, and you're in this all, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny their self and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, where Jesus went, was uphill, was upstream. Upstream, uphill to this place called Golgotha where he carried his cross for you and for me, gave his life for you and for me there upon that cross so that we could have life in him. So when we follow him, we have to understand that that following of him is an upstream endeavor. Now the good news is, he promises, this is what Christmas was all about, he promises not to be God all the way upstream going, come on! Get your life together. Get your finances right. Oh, don't buy those shoes. You don't need those shoes. You already have shoes. Don't do that. Oh, don't tell them they're just like their father. That's going to scar them for life. Don't say that. He doesn't do those things upstream. Jesus goes, walks back downstream, and gets with us because he's God with us. Now, here's what y'all wish he would do Titus, come up here, man. Come here, Titus. He's wearing some of the new stuff he got. What we wish Jesus would do to us, all right? We got to go upstream. What we wish Jesus would do is just be like, all right, I got you, man. Come on. You would never get this without me. I got you. All right? That's not what he does, though. Come on, let's go back. Come on. We'll get your hat in a second. Here's what he does do, though. Let's take a few steps. Take a few steps. Take a few steps. All right, we got this, man. We're getting this. We're getting this. All right, good. Oh, oh, oh. There's something poisonous right there. Alright. Now listen, uh, you don't have the self control to get over that. So here's what we're gonna do. Alright. You feel good? Let's keep going then. Let's go. We're good. Oh hold up, brother. You're struggling a little bit, aren't you? Feeling tired? You need some help? <laughs> Now, look, this is a great example. We didn't, play, we didn't plan this. This is a lot of us, right? Jesus, I don't know what I need. I have no, I literally don't know. And this is great because then Jesus goes, all right, oh, that's what I need to hear. You just don't know. Thank you for not pretending like you had all the answers. I'm carrying you on through. All right, thank you, buddy. You grab your hat and run on down there. So again, that's what it's going to be like. What he knows is that if you didn't build up the strength to make it from here to there, you could never make it from here to here. So he's gotta let you take those steps. He's not just gonna pick you up and be like, well, come on, come on, I'll get you there. Now, there are certain times, those, those moments where you know for sure wholeheartedly, he carried your tail upstream. Your feet weren't on the rocks. They're on the solid rock. The rock of Christ on which I stand everything else seeking But there's been some times where I haven't felt my feet touching nothing. Anybody else been there? Wasn't touching a thing. That's been us. Last thing this pastor says in this little section, verse three, he says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What he's doing here, you remember in chapter one, he started this rant about angels, because people were trying to downgrade their faith in Jesus to put faith, they're just saying, Jesus is a really cool angel. And he's going, no, 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 no. Jesus is real. Jesus is God's son. He's the radiance of the glory of God. What he's saying here is what is a literary form of a lesser than to greater than argument. When God gave the Hebrew people the 10 commandments and the law. He did that on this mountain called Mount Sinai. He did that to Moses. Now, when he did that, God was there, but he used angels to deliver this message, this message declared by angels. That's if you go back and read in Exodus where all this happened. God did that to his people. And he's saying, okay, if angels gave you the first message of the revelation and the rules and regulations of God, and that proved to be reliable, and when you disobeyed that, you made a transgression, you had the disobedience, if when you did bad things against what God had revealed to you through angels, and you received a just retribution, then he says, this is the lesser than, here's the greater than, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's saying, God showed up to you before, and he spoke to you through angels, and you were held justly punishable for neglecting what God revealed to you through angels. How much more so now will you be justly paid back for what you neglect? Not because God has continued to reveal himself through angels, but because God has now revealed himself through his son. We will be held way more accountable because God has shown us his son who was the word of God made flesh dwell among us and then we have this word of him so he says how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation this is one of those rhetorical questions that teachers like to ask the answer to this question is not well let me explain to you how that's going to happen the answer to the question is no you can't there's no escape if we neglect this salvation which let's let's talk about looking into the new year as we wrap up today when you think about where you wanna get to. And even if you go back and you ask that question we start at the very beginning, how did you get here? Like if your relationships are kinda in a mess right now, or your finances are in a mess, or you feel like your health is in a mess right now, if you ask yourself, well, how did I get here? You'd probably say, well, my health got this way because I neglected my health. Well, my finances got this scary because I neglected good stewardship. How did my relationships get this broken? Because I neglected social life. How did my, my Bible knowledge get so weak and my relationship with God just get so cold and hard? Well, it's because I neglected his word. I neglected prayer. And here's, here's what I would say to you. It's totally fine for you to want to have healthy finances. It is totally fine for you to want to have healthy relationships, healthy marriage. It's totally fine for you to want to be a healthy, God-honoring parent to your kids. It is totally fine even for you to want to have awesome health. You want a six-pack to have in 2024? Man, go right ahead, right? That's awesome. If you want to feel comfortable in your clothes, go, go right ahead. Honor what God has given you in this body. Steward it for his glory. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. You cannot neglect all of those things in 2024, and neglect your salvation, and you will still have failed 2024's test. But here's, here's what's awesome. This I want to leave you with. If you can do this, if you cannot neglect the great salvation that you have, that is part and parcel. That is the key, guys. Not neglecting your salvation is the key to not neglecting your kids. Not neglecting your salvation is the key to not neglecting your finances. Not neglecting your salvation is the key to not neglecting your relationships. It's the key to getting from here to where I believe God wants to take us. And so as we wrap up today and take communion, this is where we have another great opportunity as we round out 2023 to hold in our hand the broken body of Christ, poured out blood of Christ, and to look at these things and to see and savor and not neglect the price that was paid for us. This is a moment in time where you can go, Jesus, forgive me for the times when I have neglected the price that was paid and the way that was made so that I could be yours and you could be mine. So as you commune with him today, ask for forgiveness, repent if you need, and beg Jesus to let all the other things that you hope to not neglect in the year to come to fall into the background and make your primary goal of 2024 to not neglect the salvation that he's given you. Now, for some of you in this room, you are neglecting that salvation because you've never accepted it for the very first time. And this morning, I wanna invite you into that. If you've never put your hope, your faith, your trust in Christ, you've never received that salvation. Friend, right now at this very moment, you are neglecting it. But I would encourage you now, let this moment be one where you are accepting it for the very first time to say, Jesus, this salvation, this price you paid for me, I'm surrendering fully to you. Come into my life, rule, reign, I'm giving this over to you. If you're here and you want a little bit of help being guided into that, I'd invite you to to pray a prayer like this. You've never put your hope and your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive me for neglecting you. Forgive me for neglecting this price that was paid for me. I put my faith and my trust in you, my hope in you. Turn away from the way I had lived, and I ask you to crucify my old life so that I can have new life in you. Help me to carry my cross upstream from this moment forward as I follow you, from this day forward, and forevermore. Your name, Jesus.